Hey, 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 welcome to RM Podcast FL. This is your favorite podcaster, Romina. Hope everybody's having an amazing day so far. And I want to officially welcome you guys to the 40th episode. I mean, this has been bananas, you guys. We are on episode number 40. I never thought I would even have a podcast at the beginning of the year. And just like I mentioned before, goals are revisable. I just found the need and thought it would be really awesome to have a sit down with professionals of different careers and ask them questions that I would have no other way of asking them. So it's a win-win situation. I bring a lot of amazing uh, knowledge to the audience. I learn a lot. Like I say, I hope you guys learn at least one one new thing per episode and they also get to promote themselves. So always you got to be smart guys and you got to find the best strategy out there. But before we do jump to today's episode, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in and thank you for investing your time towards RM Podcast FL. If you guys can please take a moment and give us a five-star review as well as write a short comment of how we're doing so far, I'd really greatly appreciate it. Every review counts, you guys. So without losing any time, let's dive into today's guest. Today's guest is Ryan Neris. He is a self-made real estate entrepreneur and he operates 10 mobile home parkings and about 1,245 units. He is really awesome, you guys. And me and Ryan bonded right away as we both had worked for the same automotive group back in the day. And if you are into real, if you are into car dealerships or if you hate the experience of buying a car, I mean, we all know one person. Go ahead and give his book, Car Deal Hacks, a read because this is going to show you guys how to earn the deal and how to earn the services and show you guys how to deal with customer service in a car dealership. And it's very, very great information because all all this information that he has on the book is based on research of articles, books, and his personal experience of selling cars for years. So definitely worth reading. Also, Ryan is a fellow podcaster, you guys. So go ahead and give his podcast a listen as well mobile home parks in real life with ryan nurse i'll attach the information below again mobile home parks in real life and his podcast is on all the major podcast platforms so without losing any time you guys let's dive right into the interview So awesome, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in again to RM Podcast FL. Just like I mentioned on the intro, today's guest speaker is Ryan Neris. Hi, sir. How are you today? I'm awesome. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I hope you're having a great day so far. I know we pre-record everything, guys, but today is Friday, just to give you a little bit of background on how fast we record the episodes. And I'll pass on the mic to you, Ryan, if you want to introduce yourself to the audience. Tell us a little bit about Young You to today. Walk us through your life. Yeah, so I'm 32 years old now, and I was a victim of the lie that is told Americans nowadays, which is you work really hard in school, you go to a really good college, then you'll get a really good job, and then you work really hard at that job, and then you get to retire exactly how you want. Well, guess what? Like, essentially, none of that's true, especially with this ridiculous Aunt Becky scandal where apparently you cannot get good grades and your mom can just buy you into college. But I worked really hard. I went to Wake Forest University, which is a pretty good school. And, you know, I had the misfortune of graduating in 2009. So finding a job was hard because of the economy, but also because you're not just given a job. And then I... You know, I, I worked at that job for four years, eventually felt stuck and miserable and decided, you know what, maybe I need to double down on this and go back to college. So I went and got a master's degree, switched com- careers completely and got stuck and miserable even faster that time. And so eventually what I realized is, you know what, I don't care that I have no money. I don't care that I have no experience. I don't care that I have no network. I am going to chase after my dreams and I don't care what my parents think and I don't care what my friends think. I don't care what society thinks because society thinks I should go to school and then go to college and then work really hard at a job. And so in other words, help someone else chase their dream, you know? And so I went, you know what, if I fail when I'm 80, looking back on this moment, I'm going to be proud that I had the courage 
to chase my dream, especially when everyone else is like, why are you doing that? And when we're going to get into what I do, which is even more like, what are you doing? That's weird. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Nice. So I know you, um, you are, you have your own business right now. Yep. You have a book out there. You have your own podcast. Um, it's kind of interesting what you do. I would say you're the first person that I've run into that is in this business. So if you can tell us a little bit. Sure. So when I graduated in 2009, so I was a psychology statistics guy from Wake Forest University, and I, I knew I was meant to be in sales. And I really wanted to do business to business sales. But what I ran into in 2009 was nobody was hiring. Nobody. The only people who were hiring were like, you will have five years of experience, a Rolodex, and you will be effective immediately. And I'm like, how am I supposed to get it? How am I supposed to? It doesn't, and that's for an entry level job. I'm like, I can't, I can't not get experience somehow. And my old karate instructor was a car salesman. Well, a car sales manager. And he was in so many words like, what do you think about selling cars? And I was like, hey, man, I need this experience. I am, nothing is beneath me. And, you know, it, it, it sounds weird to go to a Wake Forest University or really any university and then go and sell cars. But it was like, dude, it's 2009. And even if it wasn't, why stay at home with your mom in, your, in the basement, so to speak? Like, you should go out there and get some experience. And so that's what I did for four years. Loved it for the first two slowly decided I hated everything about it <laughs> uh, for the subsequent two years stuck with it though. And at the end of it, I was like, you know, the one thing that really irks me about car sales is that there are a lot of really great people, a lot of really great, honest people that really want to deliver a good experience buying a car. And I was like, I think what I can do on the way out is I can help teach people how to buy a car or at least be more confident going into the car dealership, knowing what to say. And so I wrote a book called Car Deal Hacks, which is literally a way to hack your way into the best deal using psychology. So that was my book and I made a grand total of $19.18. So hey, I was a paid author. How about that? Uh, I spent actually more on the website getting it set up. So that was definitely a fail, but uh, so my book's free now and I haven't promoted it in years because honestly, I, through the, the process of selling cars and writing a book, I discovered a couple of key things about myself. First of which is I needed to be my own boss. And second of which I absolutely love helping people. Even if I don't get any benefit out of it, I don't care. It's just, I really, when I die, when I'm looking back right before I die, when I'm looking back on the world, I'm definitely going to reflect hard about did I make this world a better place because I was here? And so that's why a lot of the things I do, effectively everything I do other than my core business is free because I want to help people. I want to make this world a better place because I was in it. I, I'm, so I noticed that you talked about when I die or when I'm 80 year old. So you're not scared of death. I mean, everyone's scared of death. Unless but you accept the fact that it's going to come one day. Correct. So it's not because a lot of people sometimes have that difficult, you know, you cannot have that conversation with them. Like, what do we, what do you want to leave as a legacy behind you? Or what do you wish people remember you as? So I like how your mentality has changed towards like, this is what I want to leave behind. Like, I feel like you got a bigger purpose in life than just running your own business and just within your household. You know, my mom roasted me when I was in college because she's like, why are you a psych major? What are you going to do? You're going to be a therapist. I'm like, no mom, it's a clever way to be a good salesperson, right? Because I understand people and it has a, a wonderful benefit of, you know, I, I took, there's a couple key classes I took, uh, including death. It was, that was a sociology class, but death and, and coping with death. And then also philosophy. And the interesting thing that both those classes taught me is like, first and foremost, you're going to die. <laughs> so let's not pretend that that's not going to happen. And, and second off, how do other people cope with it? And what do people say right before they pass away? And through that brutal onslaught, because I went through during philosophy class, I went through a brutal semester of just constant fear of what is going to happen when I die. And it was horrendous. It was, uh, it, but it was necessary. And I'll tell you why it was necessary because, so I was raised Catholic and Irish, Irish Catholic. And the thing about that is it, it's really easy to be very religious like I was 
and just kind of put death to the side because you're like, dude, there's an afterlife. Who cares? You know, like we're going, we're going to heaven. It's we got, we got this. Just you don't know, think gonna, after that point. You're, exactly. You're like, well, I'm going to be here forever. And the interesting thing about those two classes is they forced me. I, and I, I really forced myself to go, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if the Bible was totally made up? What if this is it? And I was like, I'm not necessarily losing my faith, but I'm going to pretend like as a true critical thinker, what if I'm just wrong? And that was just absolutely brutal, but that was absolutely necessary to build my self-esteem on a real foundation. So now I, it's not that I'm not afraid of death. Trust me, I get in the car and I'm terrified. <laughs> you and I talked offline about how that one guy threatened my life at one of my properties. We I was did, really, yeah. That was really scary. But I, I will say this, it's not that I'm not scared. I mean, courage isn't the lack of fear. It's the ability to move forward in the face of it. And one big way you build a real self-esteem and you build real courage is when you don't downplay or fill a delusion. You know, not that I'm not saying anything bad about religion. I'm just saying you can't use religion as a crutch if you want to build a real self-esteem and you want to build real courage. It's, faith should be there to make you stronger, not to be used as a crutch. Are you glad that happened when you were younger? Because that might oh, have, yeah. like, that whole processing might have happened on your fifties and then your sixties, and you might have been like, "Darn it! Like, I wish I, I wish my thinking was different, so I could give more of myself and I could build my self-esteem like sooner." A absolutely, and it's, and if not for other people and for myself, at least for my kids. So my son's, we were talking; he's, he's three months old now, and it, there's the, the funny thing about kids that I have seen that I haven't experienced yet because my son's too young is that they do as you do, not as you say. So if I can do the, the one thing that I'm going to continually beat into my own head as a father is I need to demonstrate through my actions, how I want my son to behave because I can't yell at him and tell him to do certain things and then expect him to do it. Especially if I don't myself. Yeah, actions absolutely speak louder than the words too. So especially now, it's their time for them building their own character. So they're they're of course they're gonna cop. You know they're gonna see you, and that's what they're gonna do because that's the example they're gonna take. Exactly. Awesome, um, Ryan. So I know you have uh, your own business right now. You are into mobile home parking. Correct. Tell us a little bit about it. It's the first time that I ran across it. Tell me a little bit. What does that do? Like, what do you do exactly, and what does that include? Sure. So we are affordable housing, mm -hmm. right? So I basically own a parking lot for houses. So I own the dirt and I'm responsible for the roads, the, you know, the trees, the infrastructure, the common areas, so to speak. And the tenants that own their own homes, because mobile homes aren't deeds, they're titles like a car. They own their own house. And I charge for the right to park there. Now, sometimes I will own the homes and rent those out. But essentially, my core business is, it's a land lease play. And the thing of it is, I, the, the real money is made at the closing table. So in other words, when you buy or when you sell. Otherwise, you're just chasing yield, which has, which will give you a, a certain percentage per year. But the, the, real, the, real, the real money is when you refinance a property for way more than what you bought it for or sell it for way more than what you bought it for, right? So in other words, my core business, although the bulk of my days, operationally speaking, are making sure no drugs are, no crime, no drugs, no bad things are going on, making sure accounting's okay, making sure all my auto pays are okay. You know, there's that aspect of it. And there's the collection of the rents because effectively my business is a debt collections business. But really the core of my business is convincing other mobile home park owners to sell to me and to sell to me for a fair price. Because right now in a hot market, everybody thinks they're sitting on a pile of gold. And unfortunately, everyone, like I have a niche that is just got a cult following. So everyone that is interested in this niche are cold calling like crazy. You've got brokers, you've got other people wanting to get into the space, you've got people who are already in the space, and it is brutal. And so these folks that own these properties are like, well, I want to sell it for a billion dollars. 
And you're like, I can't, no. <laughs> so it's really hard. So that's really, if you want to break down my activities, like what's a $10 activity? What's a $5 activity? What's a $1 activity? Well, making sure my auto pays are set up are $1 activities. You know, making sure I'm, the money is coming in is like a $5 activity, but the $10 activity is finding owners who are willing to sell me their properties for reasonable prices. And then I will go in and I will increase the value because I was there. Again, like I said earlier, I want to buy, they, I want to leave this world a better place because I was in it. And I am proud to say that on almost every single one of my properties, I have paid at or above the appraisal value at closing. And almost every single one of my properties right now is worth way more than what I bought it for because I was there. And so that's the type of business person that I want to be is I, I want to buy right. I want to buy fair. I want to do right by people selling, but also I want to do right by my, my clients, my customers who are living there, give them a good, safe, clean place to live, pump them full of value. So the property in general is more valuable. And like I like to say, I'm not in the real estate business. I'm in the community building business because communities, they self-police they're safe, they're clean, the people come together when they need to. And that's what I want for these, these folks that live in my communities. So you're looking at a long-term relationship instead of a short-term investment. Absolutely. I tell anyone who walks into my office, because uh, like Tupac says, I ain't hard to find. I want to be that way. I don't want to be some knucklehead behind a desk in New York City bragging about his IRRs. I want my tenants to be able to speak to me face-to-face. -face. Si también yo puedo hablar español. So if you can't speak English, guess what? You can come meet me face to face and you can speak to me directly in, in your own, your, your first language. I love it. How many, um, how many properties do you currently have? So currently I have equity in seven. I've purchased or at least been a part of 10 transactions. And since the market is really hot right now, I've sold out of my positions in three so I can have liquid cash. And the reason why is cash is king. And you, as a real estate owner, the cash in the bank allows you to do things. For example, get bridge loans or recourse loans without having to bring some rich guy on to pay a whole bunch of money to sign, to post his own collateral. You can post your own, which saves you a bunch of money. And also when you go to submit proof of funds, if you can go, hey, I'm not just some knucklehead, look at my bank account. So it adds credence and it's just, random things are going to happen that you need, you're going to need capital for. So for example, at my countryside property, I guess we just, we bought the wrong pump, which was, I'll totally take the blame for that. And we ended up getting slapped out of nowhere with a five grand bill. And if you know anything about lift stations, they pump sewage uphill and you cannot ignore that <laughs> for obvious reasons. So you need, so cash is king. You need to be able to fix things as they break. Otherwise, you're just a slumlord. And you also need cash in the bank to buy more deals. I mean, think about it like this. In 2008, who made the most money? People with cash in the bank. People with those relationships. People who are like, oh my God, the economy has gone down the drain. But guess who's ready with a bunch of cash in hand? So that's kind of my goal is it, we are at the top of the market right now. So properties that aren't giving me the fee income that I need to continue to eat, I'm selling out of at as high a price as I possibly can get. So I have that cash. So eventually when the economy turns, I'm ready to rock. So before I do jump to the next question, because I did actually get a chance to fully look at your YouTube channel, which I think is very informational and it's really great. Um, you did mention cash is king. Um, I feel like today's generation, my generation, like, I would say the teenagers, 20s, 30s, I feel like they're not appreciating cash as much as our parents did at, their, at our time. Um, and I feel like cash is very important. So what would you say to maybe change their mentality? Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I might need that 5,000 or 10,000 sitting in my bank for an emergency situation. So I don't have yeah. to max out my card, for example. But like, what can you say to change that perspective for those people that don't save cash? That's a fantastic question. So my business partner's father is a doctor and he had a really good point. He was like, because obviously he, he had, he saw the worst of the worst of gruesome injuries, right? He was like, when you're in your twenties and your teens, you, you, you see so many people in the hospital who don't realize 
that their health is going to fail them. It's a matter of time. It, it happens to everybody, right? So when you have that mentality of there's always going to be a tomorrow, you, you miss very, very obvious things to older folks who have seen the same situation play out again and again and again and again. And I'll give you a great, for example, in my own life. So my son was born on July 11th of this year. His due date was August 31st. He was almost two full months early. That was one of the scariest things that my wife and I ever went through because everything about the pregnancy was going like, per, uh, like as close to perfect as you can get. Every, all signs pointed to healthy. Everything was a-okay. And then all of a sudden, boom, my wife is in labor like two months early. I had to uproot everything I was doing. And I, I slept at the hospital with my wife for almost a whole week. And then my son had to be in the NICU for 16 days. It was like almost a month of, of just this roller coaster ride. And thankfully, knock on wood, he's healthy. My wife's healthy. And the only thing that went wrong was that he was born early. And let me tell you why that's relevant. Because the bill was $119,000 and rising. Yeah. Now, thankfully, I have health insurance. I'm going to hit my out-of-pocket max. And there's nothing I could do about that. I don't have... I, I, well, I don't want to spend $119,000 on a hospital trip. And even if, you know, I did want to do that, why? You know, you need to, I'll put it to you this way. You could be sitting at a red light doing absolutely nothing wrong. Even if you don't have kids, you're not married. You could be sitting at a red light doing absolutely nothing wrong. And some drunk knucklehead plows into you, your car, you've been there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you got to go through surgery and physical therapy and you miss work. And then, and, and then what? then guess what? You have a $119,000 bill. That is not even your fault. And if you don't have insurance, or even if you have insurance, your out-of-pocket max is like five grand. Do you have five grand just sitting there? I mean, that's, that's real life. You have to prepare for that. That is very true. First, I'll, I'm, I'm happy the kid is doing good and um, he's healthy. That's very important. But I can fully relate to that. And that's why I wanted to bring that up because I was that person sitting on a red light and I got hit. The lady was going 60 miles per hour and I was in a full oh. stop. Her car got completely destroyed and I was the person going through therapy, had to miss work, going through the back surgery, had to miss work. So it is cash is king. It is very important to have that backup money. But I feel like today's kids, they spend it like they live. And that's why I feel like that's a chain that needs to be broken. So you don't live paycheck to paycheck. You need to get better at your own personal budgeting. I couldn't agree more. New York Times just came out with an article. So by the way, we're recording this in October of 2019. Uh, I forget the name of it, but they basically broke down four families of various incomes, some extraordinarily high and some low. And the one thing that resonated with me from that article is that when you look at their expenditures on paper, for the most part, for the most part, they're not friv frivolous expenditures. But the one thing that stood out was the cost of housing and student loan debt. And unfortunately for a lot of folks, cars. So car payments can be outrageous, especially if you're trading every, say, three years or less. Depreciation is going to catch up to you. And especially if you're buying your car, not leasing your car, if you get into an accident and you have negative equity and you don't have gap insurance, you are paying for that regardless if it's your fault. So if you're you know, one of these people who trades your car all the time and you, you'll, you and I, I know, you know exactly where I'm going with this, you need to be leasing your car. And, you know, some folks just can't kick that habit. I mean, I have a, a, a 10, almost 10 and a half year old Honda been paid off for a long time. And I am not getting rid of that thing. That thing is, I'm, that thing is going to die with me. And then I'm going to buy a really old, my next car will be five to seven years old. It'll probably be another Honda. And that's just how I'm going to be. I'm not a high roller. If you look at Warren Buffett, he has like a 10, 15 year old car. It's because the car is a depreciating asset. Right. And so the, the thing that resonated with me was, was a couple of things. First and foremost, the student loan debt. Now I have student loan debt and thankfully it's only like 200 bucks a month for mine. My wife's is a lot higher, but the thing of it is I went to university twice and worse, I went to a private university twice. Now, thankfully I got scholarships and um, my father was a professor. So I got a, a bit of a discount, which is great. But the thing of it is, I, I don't, I don't need a college education to do what I'm doing now. 
So now I'm glad I have it because it's a great fall safe. So if all goes to down the drain, so to speak, I can go get another job because I have a master's degree, which is great. So it's a good safety blanket. But at the same time, it's like my business it's an partner. Expensive doesn't. safety blanket. Oh my absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So it's like student loan debt will crush you. Everyone's moving to the cities and away from rural America right now. So McKinsey, the consulting firm, just came out with a huge study where they basically just showed how the rural America is just getting rocked. And that's great for cities, but that's really bad for people who are moving to cities who are trying to find housing when demand is out of control and supply is limited, which is another great thing about real estate. There, there's only so much land. So when demand is out of control, like look at San Francisco, demand is out of control for San Francisco. Good luck trying to find a place to live there. So it's like you, you get this college degree that may or may not actually help you do what you want to do in life. And then if you're moving to a city, your cost of housing is going to be outrageous. And then if, you need, if you're spending you know, 500 bucks a month on your car payment or anywhere close to that, plus your insurance and maintenance and blah, 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 blah you know, and if you move further out from the city, you're, you're, you're going from paying really high rent to now paying really high for car maintenance. It's like, it's out of control. So and I mean, to a certain... time and everything to drive to the city for work. So it's like, you oh, have... yeah. I mean, I was just in San Francisco um, last summer and it's really expensive. And there's the, like the population of homeless people is very high because a lot of people move thinking California, thinking this and that without doing that personal budgeting that we were just talking about. But um, I feel like it's going to come a time and a moment when people are going to leave the city and they're going to go back to that, to that other life. And I'm, I'm more than that. I would love to live in the country. Give me the country, <laughs> a mountain cabin. Give me the country house and I will live there. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> That's my spirit. <laughs> um, awesome. I wanted to ask a little bit about the YouTube because I found it very informative and I found it very awesome how you were just sharing tips and tricks of what to do. Uh, whatever you manage your own property. But like you were saying earlier, we do live in a very competitive market. Um, so how, and I understand that you're very willing and very um, passionate towards helping others. But do you feel like if you give tips and tricks, maybe another competitor on your area might steal those tips and tricks and you might have a not so healthy competition there, even though you're doing it from a good point of view? So by the way, this is my favorite question on your list and I'm really glad we got a chance to answer this. <laughs> and here's the thing. Yes, I love helping people and getting, I don't need anything in, re in return. I don't care. I just absolutely love help. Like I said, I want to leave this world a better place. So that's a huge part of why I do that. But there's also, there's many reasons why I do it. So not just that for my own, I mean, cause really that is selfish to a certain degree, although it's, it benefits others. It is technically selfish, right? Cause I'm doing it cause it makes me happy. But yes, I want to help other people out. Yes, I want to make this world a better place. I also want to combat slumlordism. So the problem my industry is facing right now is that there are a bunch of people getting a ton of views and downloads and comments who are perpetuating a hype story about my space. And the problem with that is they're hyping it like it's a coupon clipper, passive investment, very lucrative business and the problem is it's not it's a lot of work it's actually not that lucrative relatively speaking and the problem is when you go out and you raise a bunch of money and you then can't place that money you can't go back to those investors and be like hey remember i promised you all these returns uh here's your money back i couldn't find any you, you're not going to do that what you're and what you're going to do is you're going to get really creative with your underwriting then you're going to buy things you shouldn't have bought and then you have two levers you can pull. You can either increase your gross revenue by raising rents, or you can cut back your expenses by not reinvesting in the properties anymore. And guess who pays for that? The people on those properties. So in other words, and by the way, what I'm describing right there is a slumlord. So in other words, why am I putting all this content out there? First and foremost, I wanna eradicate this idea that my industry is just easy and lucrative. I want to eradicate that. I want to help give the market another perspective. And I want to combat slumlords because that message is attracting slumlords. And that's not fair to the people living in those, those, those dwellings. So in other words, 
what I want is people to get into this space who are not slumlords. And I got to It has to be free because uh, that's the like the way you get a message out there is you make it compelling, valuable, and free. It's jab, jab, right hook, or whatever that book is. I give them for and yeah, I'm sure it's right behind you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the thing is, <laughs> I I want people. I want competition. I do, and the reason is because there, it doesn't matter if I want it or it doesn't. It's coming. People are going to enter my space, so I might as well help them do it right and come in with the right expectations. And if I lose out a property to someone who consume my content and is going to go be on site and make people's lives better. I am so much happier. Like not that I'm ever happy getting outbid on on a property I really want. But I, it is so much easier for me to stomach if I know that those tenants are going to be treated right. Whereas what my industry is plagued with right now is a bunch of people sitting behind a desk bragging about their IRRs, raising a bunch of money and never going to the properties. And that I take issue with. So the way I look at it is is multifaceted. First and foremost, it makes me happy. I really want to make this world a better place. Second off, I am on a crusade against slumlords, and I will help anyone enter my space the right way with the right expectations. Like we're talking about building a self-esteem on a good foundation. Same thing. If you want to enter my space, I want you to do it, not with delusions. I want you to understand the risks and the responsibilities you are taking on by buying a mobile home park. And I will do all of this. And obviously, I want to combat the medium-sized syndicators who are never going to show up to their properties, right? So it's all of the above. So I, like, you're go it's never going to be a blue ocean forever. You're, it's, it's just not going to happen. So if I can help kind of change the narrative, even at my uh, potential, my own expense, I, sign me up and I'll do it free. So I feel like you will be the expert in the area. And because of this free advising and free expertise that you're, give, you're getting out there, you might come, like, it might be really great relationships that you can build even towards future properties. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's why I'm, I'm here on your podcast too, is because I want to meet people. I think the, the, the one thing that I learned in my life is it's so obvious and everyone knows it, but very few people put a lot of effort into it. It's, it's all about who you know. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And everyone's heard that. <laughs> everyone <laughs> knows that. But how frequently have you done something like go on someone's podcast just so you can meet people? I mean, that that's, what I, that's what I'm doing. You know, I, I, I love helping people and that's a big reason why I'm here. And I don't expect anything in return. But I'm also here because I want to meet you, I, like you, the listener. Like, I, I don't care if you're a janitor or a CEO or anywhere in between. I would love to meet you and I would love to help you out. And yeah, I mean, you're right. I may one day be able to sell a training course or do consulting or, you know, maybe a deal will come, come of it some way, somehow. But honestly, I'm not doing it for that. If that's a great secondary benefit to it, but I am doing what I'm doing to help people not only directly buy mobile home parks and maybe chase their real estate dream or even their own entrepreneurship dream, but also to help combat slumlords, help the people in those properties not get taken advantage of by someone who all they care about is whatever shows up on their Excel spreadsheet. Well, why uh, mobile home parks instead of um, like uh, single family homes? Yeah. So it's, it all comes back to me. What, what is your why? And my why, when I realized at a really young age, about 16, give or take, I realized that as a child with learning disability, with parents who got me the medication I needed, and with the patients to make sure I learned how to read, and I went to school, and if I and I just realized when I was doing some volunteer work in high school that because I met someone who was very similar to me, she was a little bit younger, and and she didn't she had a very similar situation, but she did not have the parents that I had. And I remember, gosh, I was with her for maybe, and I, I wish I knew her name and followed up with her, but I met her once for half hour to an hour, helped her with her algebra homework. And at the, in the middle of it, she just went, she went, she stopped me and she was like, wait, this like follows a logistical pattern? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> math is literally the, the science of patterns, right? So in other words, everything, it's all logical. And this was like, it was like crazy to me. And she looked at me and she's like, 
I was just writing things down on the page that I thought was correct. I'm like what? And then she's like, is English class like this too? And I'm like, are you? Yes. Every discipline follows logic. And this was just like mind blowing to her. And then she was like nailing it on her, her pre-algebra homework. And what that made me realize is that this girl was not stupid. This girl was ignored. She did not have parents who had the patience to sit there with her and make sure she got what she needed. And like the Tupac song, Brenda's Got a Baby, you can't ignore Brenda forever because eventually you'll hit, you'll see the headline prostitute slain and that affects your entire community. So from my perspective, underprivileged kids for a lot of reasons, some nefarious and some just because that's the way of poverty, don't get the attention they need. And although I am a for-profit company, I'm not a non-for-profit company, to merge my life goals, my charitable goals, with a business, in, in other words, to make it lucrative for myself and make it beneficial for the people living in my communities, that's a fit. And like Good to Great right there behind you, one of my favorite books by Jim Collins, he says, you need to find something that is the intersection of three things. First and foremost, you need to be passionate about it. Second, you need to be the best, be able to be the best in the world at it. And third, it needs to be lucrative. And for me, mobile home parks, I'm very passionate about it. Secondly, I have a chance to be the best in the world at it because it's niche. I have sales experience, right? Car sales experience, which is very similar and very applicable for a lot of reasons. So I, I have a chance to be the best in the world at it because there's not a whole lot of people in my space. And it also has to be lucrative. And so far it has been, knock on wood, it's, it has been. So in other words, I have taken a lot of years of my life to figure out who I am, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, what I want. And all that the intersection, like Jim Collins says in his book, is mobile home parks. And I have to say, it took me years to find that. And I started several businesses that did not work out. One of which we talked about earlier was trying to sell a book. So you have to go out there. You have to look at a bunch of businesses. You have to look at, you have to be honest. Like we were talking about death earlier. You have to be extremely honest with yourself and it's brutal and you'll feel worthless, but oh my gosh, it, you, you then build a, a foundation of a self-esteem and, and a self-awareness of who you are and what you're meant to be when you grow up from reality, not delusions because of that. I'm actually glad I asked that question because I feel like I got to know you in a different level and I feel like for a successful business and a person to come to feel happy and enjoy his life it's purpose and goals to just mix those two together yeah. and I feel like you've hit that point and that's why and it's even on your voice for the audience out there they can tell in your voice that you're very confident and you're very happy and for whatever you say you actually truly believe in it. So I'm really glad I actually asked that question. And thank you for no. sharing the story too. That is, a, that is a really good point that a lot of people sometimes miss out because they tend to see just their benefit, just their profit without thinking how they can give back somehow or how they can help throughout their profit. And that's what, I'm, that's, what, uh, that's what I think value of your business and your actually like mission, it's very important because some people just get on, open their own businesses just for straight profit. And that's why they don't last. I'll tell a real quick story before we go on to your next question. And before I do, I have to compliment you because you've prepared for this interview. And for those who obviously are listening in and don't know, she has sent a list of like 20 questions after she checked out a whole bunch of stuff that I have out there. So you're, as someone who's been on a bunch of podcasts and a bunch of interviews, you are very good at this because you put in the time. So compliment to you. And Thank you. Outstanding, by the way. Um, but I want to tell a quick, quick story. So when I was in high school, I was a scrawny little kid. I was a runner, a cross country runner, and then turned sprinter. But I was always totally underweight because I had ADHD and was real ADHD, not like, oh, my kid's annoying. Give him Ritalin. No, I had bona fide ADHD. And I was on Concerta, which is a slow release Ritalin medication. And it stunts your growth to a certain degree, like your height. And it also stunts your appetite and keeps you up at night, which was awful but it was necessary but i was always a little scrawny little kid like scrawny 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 little kid and so i and i had self-esteem issues and so i got into martial arts so i mentioned my karate instructor earlier on the 
on the interview. And I remember I started in my freshman year. I got my black belt my senior year, a week before I went to college. And I loved it. And I, I loved martial arts. I loved, I was in Haitian Karate and I absolutely loved it. And my goal the entire time was to get my black belt before college. And I did it. And then I never went back. Not once. And here's why that's relevant. Because my goal the entire time was to get my black belt. And when you have a goal, your subconscious does everything it can. It's like autopilot. It does all the right things. If you imagine it and you dream it and you think about it and you talk about it and you put yourself out there, your subconscious will just do the right things for you. But once you achieve it, you don't care anymore. And so why I harp on this on my, my podcast and, and when I go on interviews is you have to know yourself and you have to know what you're really, truly passionate about. Because if your goal is, for example, to quit your job and be your own boss, guess what? You can do that. And once you do that, you'll discover you traded a job for another one. And a lot of times people trade a job for another one that they hated even more. And then you're stuck. And if you're like me and you take out recourse debt over your head, you can't just leave. <laughs> the bank may come after you. And if it goes badly, you lose everything and possibly file for bankruptcy. So in other words, it's, it's, it's risky doing it. You better, you better make sure that's what you want. And if your goal is, oh, I heard it was a great opportunity and I can go and sit on a beach and I can go you know, live in the mountains and run a four-hour workweek Tim Ferriss online business or you know, travel the world or whatever. It's like you will eventually get that if you take action and you imagine it vividly. But if you are chasing the wrong goal, or even if you're chasing a goal for all the right reasons, like getting a black belt, I thought was I was chasing it for the right reasons, but then my goal was was done. Like I got my black belt and I was done, it was over. And that's that's the thing you have to keep in mind when you're starting a business or when you're stuck at your job is what is your who are you? Will achieving this goal actually make you happy? And then what happens when you do it? Because if your goal is to make a million bucks. Um, you will find when you hit that million dollar figure, or at least when your banker emails you, congratulations, you're worth a million dollars. And you're like, oh my God, is this real? And then you're like, oh no, he, he made an error over here. I'm actually not worth a million dollars. But for 30 seconds, I thought it was worth a million dollars. And in 30 seconds, I was always already like, eh, all right, whatever. <laughs> so you have to keep that in mind. You have to know yourself. You have to set goals properly. And you have to build everything from truth, not delusion. That's so true. And like, as we're speaking, I have right across from me, my, my other side of the wall, I have a tape in the middle and I have sticky notes, like personal goals and career goals. And I take the sticky notes out and I put another one in, like, I'll take one out. I'll take an, I'll put another one in. Cause sometimes we feel like we set a goal and we're like, I'm going to be so happy if I accomplish this goal. But then you do more thinking and you're like, that's not something that I really want. That's something that somebody thought it would be good for me. So you have to definitely have a big why and a big pur purpose behind it and be for you. So this way, when you reach that goal, it's not, it's like a, just a stepping stone to the next one. It's not like I reached it. Okay. Completely change the subject now. I, I couldn't agree more. And by the way, looking back on your goals, if you save them is the most amazing thing. I, I have my favorite one is uh, from 2012, the year I met my wife and I decided I was gonna start my own company. I had goals of becoming fluent in Spanish, starting my own company, and getting married and having a family, and now in 2019, seven years later, I have all of that. And looking at that, the first time I wrote that goal down, and being like, wow, and if I had told myself then, because in, in like five to seven years, I would have all of that, I would have been like, that's I, unbelievable. So you, you write down your goals, know your goals, I couldn't agree more, and then, and then track them, because you'll find, it, it, it takes longer than you think it does, but then when you do it and looking back, you're like, oh my gosh, that happened way faster than I thought it was. That's so true. And I, I can't find the picture right now, but I actually do a vision board and I print yeah. them and I have them on frame and I have them like for every year. And the last one of like five years ago, I just found it the other day. I, I think it's somewhere here. Um, but I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, all this are accomplished. I was like, brother, look, yeah. I was like, this is kind of cool. Cause you're just really focused. Yeah. It makes you feel really good too. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> um, so my next question would be you operate and manage your own company. Uh, what would you say has been the biggest challenge for you to run your business? Like a biggest challenge that might've been professionally or personally was the biggest obstacle you had to overcome. Sure. I think so. That's a moving target because if 
Look, the thing is, if you want to start your own business, you need to be mentally prepared for the fact that random things are going to come out of nowhere. So, I mean, I could talk about how I bought a mobile home park and didn't check the water bills. And it turned out there was a massive leak that cost me $125,000 to install a pump and fix infrastructure. And by the way, it's still going. I think I'm at $150,000 spent now. Yeah, uh, check the water bills if you're buying a property and the infrastructure belongs to you. So, look, I can point to lift station, I can point to that, I can point to taking, there's so many different mistakes I've made along the way. I think, I think the, I, the, the biggest thing is if you want to start your own business, you need to know that you are going to get thrown, uh, so many random things are going to happen to you. It doesn't matter if you're in real estate or you're trying to sell cakes or whatever you're trying to do. You are going to hit so many random hurdles and there are not going to be any books or podcasts or people who have ever experienced it before. It is, it is you. You are the boss. And it, the onus is on you to get through that. And I'm going to say probably the biggest thing is being mentally tough. Not that that's like, you know, a, a big... A, there, it's hard to say what is your biggest problem. So I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of taking your question and, and giving what I think is the best advice for folks trying to start your own business and that advice is you need to be mentally tough because you're going to constantly question, why did I do this? And if you don't have a strong why and you don't have that resilience and grit not to quit, you will quit. I mean, I did not get paid a penny. I lost thousands of dollars for the first 14 months being in a mobile home park guy. And then my, then my second year into it, I'm basically all the money I made just went, I, I did not pay myself. It wasn't until my third year that I paid myself. And by that time, it was going really well. But I basically had two years of a lot of people being like, why are you doing this? You're spending thousands of dollars. You're getting nothing out of it. And then finally, you buy one. Yay. You know, you're, you're, you're still not going to pay yourself. So still on paper, you're losing money. You know, as far as cash flow is in and out, you're still losing money. So, so two years of just a brutal onslaught. And then I quit my job, cut my pay in more than half, and then literally moved into a mobile home. So for, and stayed there every other week for 14 months. So in other words, I made a big sacrifice. What, I, what I'm ultimately getting at here is like, I don't think there's one biggest problem, but for other people that I see that want to start their own business, their biggest problem is they eventually quit. And the, a big reason why, other than not having a clear def, defined why and goals and knowing who you are, is that you are not mentally tough, or at least you're not of the mentality that this is going to be really tough. I can do it but it's going to be really tough and it's going to, I'm really going to question myself a lot. So I feel like a lot of people want that like in, instant uh, gratification. Like they want that instant return without thinking like long-term, like you said, it's been, you know, like the first year, the second year and the third year, you're finally able to pay yourself a little bit. But those three years, yes, it's just a three year number, but like day to day struggle and the mental toughness that you have to push yourself through. That's very strong. And that's another thing that I want to bring up my generation because I feel like they need, they want to be recognized right away just because they got a degree or they did something. And um, maybe you can correct me on this one, but I feel like now it's like a trendy thing to be an entrepreneur and just to have your own business when somebody doesn't even know like how to do taxes or how to do budgeting. So that's another thing too that I feel like people want to open business just for the profit return without thinking the long term. Yeah, again, it for me getting my black belt was a really big deal and then I got it and then I quit. So, <laughs> if you you know, if you want to quit your job because you feel miserable at it, you can do it. I mean, I know a ton of people who have been like, "Oh, I hate corporate America. I want to build a lifestyle." And then they build a lifestyle and then they travel the world and then they do all these cool things and then they realize they are stuck and they're miserable. And again, if your goal is to just quit your job, because you heard it was a good idea to go start a business and a lot of DDA, if you're getting into the wrong reasons, you're going to get crushed. So you have to know yourself. You have to know what you truly want because it like uh, Mark, what is it? Mark Manson's the subtle art of not giving an F he's, he brilliantly puts it. He's like, no matter what you pick, <laughs> there's going to be a big steaming pile of crap. And the happy people aren't rich or poor or this or that. The happy people are the ones who go, see that pile of crap over there? I'm okay with that pile of crap. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's like as silly as that example is, that is just so utterly brilliant because he takes, by the way, great book. If you haven't read it, totally listeners. I have, I have read it, yeah. 
and the gotta listeners, read. you should definitely read it. Yeah. I got to read that because it's, he takes Buddhism and, and all these other philosophies and he just makes it so simple and entertaining. That too. <laughs> and then before we do jump to the last question, cause we all know the last question is, um, I w I'm curious to know whenever, uh, what legacy would you, like, what lesson do you wish to pass along to your kids or to your son right now? Or what legacy would you live to, would you love to live behind you? Yeah, well, a bunch, but I think the biggest one is don't play the victim. You know, I think the one thing I'm going to teach my son and, and hopefully I'll have more kids and I'll have a great relationship with them and, and I'll be able to teach them and they'll be proud to have had me in their life. And if, if I can achieve that, it's going to be by my actions, not my words. So I hope that I can instill several things into my son. Number, first and foremost, character and grit, but also not playing the victim because it is so easy to play the victim. It is so easy to point the finger outside and say, I don't have what I want because of something out of my control. It is so hard to point that back at you and go, I'm not getting what I want because of me. And if I don't change my behavior, it's not going to happen. And if I could teach my son that and hopefully my future kids that by my actions, and if I can teach the world that by my actions, that, that's the legacy I want, I want to leave behind. You know, with, with all the stuff I'm doing with my podcast, Mobile Home Parks in Real Life, and, and my YouTube channel and everything where I'm just pumping people full of value and not expecting anything in return. I hope that people look at me and go, this guy was here to lead by example. And he was here to not go, oh, there's no good deals out there. No, or oh man, everyone's, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid of this hype story. No, instead of complaining, Ryan went out and did something about it. And because he had the courage to do, to not play the victim card, I'm going to do that too. And so that's, you know, that's just kind of how I want to leave this world. I want to leave this world better for having been here. I love how you mentioned don't play the victim. And I think that's very important. Even on Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki talks about the mentality of like, oh, I cannot afford it because this and this and that. But then the Rich Dad mentality how can I afford it? I'm not the victim. Exactly. I'm going to make a way for it. So I, I think that's a very great point that you hit. And once you stem that on somebody's brain, like their, their thinking, it's just going to be very different. Another must read book, by the way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then my very last question, I'm always intrigued with this one. What is your personal definition of success? So that's not a quick answer, but a great question. Look, you have to define your own success. You know, I, I, at the car dealership, I had a friend of mine. He was five foot nothing. He was like 50 years old, not a good looking guy. And I'll tell you, and not a very good salesperson. And he'd tell you. And when I met this guy, he was like, I am not funny. I am not likable. I am not good looking, but he's like, you know what? I'm here. And he just had this attitude about him. And I was like, yes. I was like, I love this. And he actually turned out to be a pretty funny dude. And the truth of it was, this guy was so honest with himself that he found his own success and happiness, despite not being that smart and not being that good looking and not being that hard of working and not being conventionally successful. Like we look at Instagram now and the worst thing about Instagram is it's perpetuating fake reality. And it's so easy to get on social media of any kind and just see other people signaling about how awesome they are and how awesome their life is and how good they are and how they're the best. And that's one kind of thing that I have to grapple with, with doing what I'm doing is I, I need to signal to a certain degree. So people are like, okay, this is just a guy putting out content. He's legit. But at the same time, I don't want people to watch my content and be like, wow, I can never be this guy. Wow, this is an Instagram star. Like I don't want that. Right. So in other words, what is success? Well, you define your own success. For me, success is, you know, one day my kids hopefully looking at me being like, thank you. You know, I didn't always agree with you. There's definitely some flaws in your, your, your parenting game, but oh my God, I loved you so much. And I'm so glad that you were in my life. That to me, that to me will be just the most amazing moment to have my kids look at me and be like, I had an amazing dad. And, and also, if I can have people in my communities and just in general, you know, trying to start their own businesses or living in my communities coming to me and being like, you, your big, your big thing was you want to leave this world a better place. And you have done that for me for free. I, I didn't have to pay you anything. I just was around you and you made me a better person. That to me is, is being successful and way down the list is building a successful business and making a bunch of money. 
Like, do I want to make a bunch of money? Of course I do. Everybody does, right? But that's, like I said, when I got that email from my banker about the and he made a mistake on the little like personal financial statement or whatever. And for like 30 seconds, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is the moment that I realized I'm now worth $1 million. And I was going through it and then I was like, oh no, he made a mistake here, here, and here. And I'm, I'm not actually worth a million bucks. For, like I said, for that 30 seconds where I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is the moment where I realized I've made my first million dollars. By the time I had realized I hadn't, I was already over it. And I know that when I officially and formally do, you know, knock on wood, everything continues to go well. I know that making a bunch of money will not have been it for me. So it's way down the list. So, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, my son, when he was born prematurely, I was actually on the way home from one of my properties when I got a call from my mother-in-law. She was like, I don't want you to freak out. And I'm like, Miss Cindy, do you want me to freak out? Because this is how you get me to freak out. <laughs> That's a very great way to start. <laughs> oh She's like, Jennifer is in the hospital, but it's okay. She's stable. And I'm like, I'm on the way there, <laughs> right? And I mentioned earlier, I was by my wife's side sleeping in the hospital next to her for almost an entire week. And then my son was in the NICU for 16 days. And because I started my business and because I'm my own boss, I did not have to take PTO. I did not have to ask for a leave of absence. I did not have to worry about money not coming in. Like when I sold cars, I sprained my ankle and I went out the next day and bought crutches because I was like, I only get paid when I sell. So I literally hobbled around the car dealership and crutches after spraining my ankle. You know, like I, I have started a business that does not need me to work, to function, which is great. Now it doesn't grow without me, but it doesn't need me to continue to be profitable. And the reason why that's important and the reason why that I define as successful isn't because of the money, like from a lucrative standpoint, it's because when my, my wife and my son needed me, I was there and I had brought no other stress to the table, no other financial stress, no other work stress, no vocational stress to the table. It was just me in that moment with them by their side. And to me, family, it, it, family and, and at least being fulfilled within your career and having others look at you and being like, I'm better for having you in my life. That's success. And, and like the black belt story I told earlier, I, I can't look at this moment and be like, well, I got success because, you know, for the next kid, if the same thing happens, I've got a business where I don't have to worry about money. No, it's an ongoing thing and it has to be an ongoing thing or you'll stop. So for those listening in, I, I really hope that my stories really inspired you to take a like really hard look at who you're listening to because no one's going to care about you like you will care about you. And you have to be brutally honest with yourself and you have to have a really strong sense of who you are. Otherwise you'll quit and be miserable. And um, yeah, so that's, a, I guess a long winded way of saying feeling fulfilled, finding meaning in my life and being there for my family and having others tell me that I, they are better for having me in their lives. That to me is, is, is success and money, but that's kind of way farther down the list. I, I love how when you answer the question, you first showed a very human side of you. And yes, money is important because at the end of the day, you have those long working hours and everything. I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say money is not important. We do work for the money. But yeah. you pointed out your human side a lot, like very, like at the very front of the, of the question compared to the financial side of it. And that's why I love about my guests so far is because I still have to have the guests say, having X amount of money as my definition of success. It's if you have a human side of it and if your mentality is strong and if your passion is very strong, then it will come with it. Yeah, exactly. And if you put yourself out there and you show the world that you are a valuable person and you offer things to them, that's the big point of, of Jab, Jab, Right Hook is you need to prove that you are not just some dude putting out content. Like you can back that up and then you can find a way to monetize it from there. And yeah, I mean, anyone who doesn't sit here and tell you they're, that the money doesn't motivate them, like, come on, dude. They're lying. <laughs> Don't <laughs> lie to you. It's a part of it, and it's a really fun part of it, but there are other things that are way more fun and, and will get you through the hard times than, than the, the thought of making money. 
goodness. Well, I, I have to say I did enjoy this interview and thank you so much for sharing a lot of personal stories and actually relating to a lot of our listeners. Um, for all my listeners out there that would love to get in touch with you, communicate, and maybe a future business might come out of that. Where can, get, uh, where can they get a hold of you? How can they connect with you? Two places, my website or my LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Ryan Narus, it's spelled N-A-R-U-S, that's N like Nancy, to my best of my ability, I'm the only one out there, so very unique name. My company is called Archimedes Group, it's A-R-C-H-I-M-E-D-E-S, that's a whole mouthful, so just Google Ryan Narus, thankfully it's like the first thing that comes up. My podcast is Mobile Home Parks in Real Life, my YouTube, all my blog, my everything is on my website, and my LinkedIn uh, if you're not interested in mobile home parks, my podcast still might interest you because I have episodes like The Death Threat where someone threatened to kill me and I talk for 20 minutes about how I use my psych major and my car sales skills to take a really tense situation where I'm the bad guy to a really calm situation and I'm the good guy. And that was probably really arrogant and really stupid, but it is a wild story. And I also have a, an episode called Starting With Nothing because I started with nothing. I had no money and no experience, and no network. And here I am, a business owner with, with, with autonomy and time and fulfillment, and I can teach you how to do that regardless if you want to be in mobile home parks or not. And another really important episode, if you have a significant other, is the second episode of my podcast, Spousal Buy-In, where my wife, I'm like, here's the mic, say whatever you want, two rules, none of my secrets, <laughs> and no bad words. And she just roasts me for like 10 minutes. And then the last five minutes, we kind of talk it out. And, it, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful episode because it's a conversation about marriage spoken through the lens of entrepreneurship. So there's a lot of content that I have that is totally not mobile home park specific. It's all talked, it's all spoken through the flavor of mobile home parks. But guys, I don't care who you are or what you do. Some of the best lessons I've learned in life have been from people who I never thought could ever help me. I had a guy, I got a beer with a guy who wants to flip homes and he taught me an extraordinary, I made an entire podcast episode about having a beer with this guy who has no interest in mobile home parks. And, and like I said, I, I've talked to janitors all the way up to CEOs. I don't care who you are. I want to help you and I want to learn from you and I want to meet you. Don't like, don't be hesitant. I am an open book and I would love to help you in any way I can. And I expect absolutely nothing in return. Just don't be a slumlord. <laughs> that's why I love my guest speakers because they're very passionate about helping others. And that's why I'm very selective when it comes to who I want to be a part of the, part of the podcast. So thank you so much for taking your time and investing yeah. and reaching out to us. Um, all for I'll attach all your information on the podcast as well. And all, for all you, my listeners, uh, Ryan, honestly, it's one of the most friendly people ever. So go ahead and just schedule a call with him and you guys will end up being friends like at the end of the conversation. I promise you that. And then for all my other listeners out there, if you do want to hear awesome episodes just like this one, do not forget we always have new interviews every Tuesday on iTunes, Spotify, Stitches Radio, YouTube, Podbean, iHeartRadio, as well as www.rmpodcastfl.com. Thank you guys for investing your time towards the podcast and have a great rest of the day. Searcher without work, so. Well, then another interesting thing is there were a bunch of good questions you had on your list we did not get to. So I think, you know, you having done the work up front and feeling out the interview and how it was going, you knew what questions to ask and which ones to omit. And I think, again, it all comes back to the pre-interview prep. And then having done it, you knew which direction you wanted to take the interview, which, I, I, again, I think you are crushing it. So keep at it. I mean, Thank I thought you. it went extraordinarily well. And, um, I mean, it's only up from here because you're going to keep doing it and keep putting out the content. And you're just going to keep getting better at it. Thank you. Yeah, that's why I said it's typically like, I'll be honest, like I said in the first call, it's 70% of the questions that I write, depending on what the conversation goes. Because I try to make it as conversational as possible. Thank you so, so much for taking your time. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And I will, I will send you the information when the podcast launched because literally I have like, like at eight, eight interviews last week. I have seven this week. So I'm trying to get as much as possible. Oh, wow. I know <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a new project for myself. So instead of being backed up by like, you know, having everything 
all my ducks in a row, so I'm never backed up <laughs> on material. But I'll send you the date when the when this one will launch, and then of course I'll use like portions of the video to like promote it out there. So I might use like little portion of this of this video of interaction before even the podcast comes out, just to for promotional purposes. I think that's a great idea. If you check my website, I do that. Uh, on my podcast page, I've got literally like a minute and a half, minute, minute and a half podcast snippets. Phenomenal idea. And yeah, I mean, anything you need, anything I can do to help, let me know. Awesome. Um, Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you so much. I'll go ahead and send you like the final one once I have it before I even launch it out and I'll get you the exact date. Sure. Qu uh, quick question for you. I, so I like, I like to track roughly. Do you think we'll take what, like three? three months, give or take to go live or how, how quickly do you think it'll go live? So I have, cause this is with, um, I'm kind of like bouncing around between different professions and different, uh, careers. I'm all yeah. till like November 5th right now. I'm all like, I have Ooh. set all those. I'll try to bring yours closer. Cause I think it's very informative and really good. So I'll try oh, to thanks. bring it like on the 12th. Um, but oh, give wow. me a, Give me a couple of days because I have my own calendar to give me a couple of days. I kind of want to like see exactly how I can play around. Like, for example, I did Kwame's and then I did um, Kwame's communication operational manager the week after that. But they were interviewed like two months apart. So I just I'm just trying to kind of keep it with the flow, if it makes sense. Yeah. Just like I said, I just I like to keep track of when things go live because I also promote it, too. Gotcha. So, yeah, rock on. No, that's way faster than I was expecting. I usually figured plus or minus three months. So it's awesome. Good work. No, yeah, I'm trying to do like as much as possible. I have a couple different ones. Like I have with the divorce attorney, with a marketing firm, with a consultant. So I try to keep like if I'm going one area, I'm going to hit a couple of episodes that area and then try to change the path. So it's not just different topics every week, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So, cause I do have marketing like the next, the next two weeks, like I have a business owners and marketing area focus. So I'm going to try to stick on that and then I'll do the attorneys on December time. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm in no rush. Um, so I didn't want you to think that I'm like pushing you to push it out. I'm, I like to just promote it as well. You're so fine. I'm going to put it on and everything. So. I have my guests emailing me saying, when is my podcast coming out? I'm like, I'm sorry, just give me time. I'm like, you have to wait till this day. <laughs> so but well, I would rather you, if you're going to edit it, I would rather you take your time and make it really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't, that's, I'm like, I don't want to rush it through. Like I'll do the audio yeah. editing and everything and I'll send, I'll send you the link. Um, Cause first I'll update it on YouTube actually. And I'll do it just like as a private thing. So that's how I use the clips and just when I drive, I re-listen to it. And if I have something, um, that's where I worked on it. That's like, that's the method that I use and try to find well, hey, the best clip to share. Take your time. I thought it turned out phenomenally well and I'm excited to listen to it eventually. And if you ever need anything, I meant every word I said, you are welcome to reach out to me. I'm happy to help. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Have a great awesome. one. Take care. I'll send you the YouTube link of it. Like it's just a private one. I'll send it to you if you just want to listen to it also. Awesome. You rock. Cool. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Bye. Have a good weekend too. Thank Bye. You.